imperishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding, abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the Word, this Word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all sin. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for this word that you've given us. God, we thank you that when all else fails, when all else falls, when all else withers away, the truths of who you are in Jesus and the words you've revealed to us in this Bible, God, remain true. God, as for so many of us this morning, maybe we're grasping for truths, grasping for confidence, grasping for direction, Lord, navigating spiritual life. God, I pray this morning that we find that the living, abiding Word of God made flesh in Jesus and revealed to us in God. And thank you so much for being here, and, and thank you for worshiping with us. And, um, you know, whatever you've brought in here today, whatever you're navigating as a family, as an individual, I pray that we would see the beauty of what God's Word has for us. You know, leading up to this moment, as we've talked through this idea of being outsiders, Christian life in a resistant culture, kind of this idea where the Christian isn't quite accepted at the cool kids table anymore. We're navigating life and how do we deal with that? And so we kind of more or less, if you go back and I hope that if you haven't, if you've missed some weeks, you'll go back to the podcast and catch up uh, on, on where we are, where we've started out very internal and kind of worked our way externally, where it's really the focus early on was our choosing or calling that God has us where he wants us, where we are today. And not only that, but he started to kind of talk about our mindset and how we navigate this space and how we engage it mentally. And then he kind of starts to get to more physical, more external, where he was calling us uh, the last couple weeks to pursuit of holiness. Remember, holiness is set-apartness or being different, being separated from the world in a sense of inviting them to something greater and not settling in what they have and what they're inviting us into. But the world needs something bigger and better and grander than what's been given to them. And so this week, we kind of continue to move externally, kind of outside of ourselves, more to our actions, and not only to our actions as individuals, but this morning, and as you can tell from the very first verse that we read this morning, that that activity is what we do and how we are drawn to each other. And so remember, Peter is writing this to the church. So he's writing this to Christians, and he is kind of encouraging and kind of instructing on how we navigate life as the church as the local church. And, and listen, especially in this day and age, and if you've talked to enough people either inside or outside the church, the, the, they would tell you that they maybe don't have quite as much confidence or believe that it's quite as necessary to be a part of or to be physically present and gathered with a local church. But for us as a church and for me, I believe without a shadow of a doubt that this is the establishment of God on earth is the local church and it's gathering. Us 
being together physically, physically together, worshiping together, kind of entering into a likeness together. And we'll get into some of this as we go, but I truly believe that God has given us an entity, an expression of his kingdom on earth, as imperfect as it might be, as broken as it might be, as simplified and as flawed as it might be. I think it is a beautiful representation and expression of his kingdom. The local church, what God has given us and what Peter is doing as he's moved externally. He's gotten to this point where he says, now pursuing holiness, living for God, all these things that you do as an individual, these things should move us into this place of unity. Remember, and we've talked about before that unity is not uniformity. So unity does not necessarily mean that we all look the same, act the same, think the same. But there is this unifying agent and it's the spirit of God within us. And it's the culture that God has called us to within this aspect that when the people of God, he has gathered us together at a place to meet with God as a community. And it should matter to us because it matters to God. Scripture after scripture after scripture, we see evidence of gatherings, of people getting together, becoming this entity together, because I truly believe in this, that the church is built for Jesus, by Jesus, and on Jesus. You know, and so a lot of times, especially, you know, churches kind of wanting to move away from the traditional aspect of what the local church looks like, you know, they'll say, well, you know, the, the, the idea of, of the church gathering isn't the fullest embodiment of who Jesus is. You know, Jesus is how you live and how you act and, how, and all those things. And I agree with those things, but Jesus came to establish the local church. He came to bind us together into a gathering, into a meeting for a purpose, not just to check something off our to-do list for the week, not to just make us feel better about ourselves when we've had a, a particularly sinful week and we just like, well, I need to go to church to be kind of, that's not how this works, but... It's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. And, and I hope and pray that as we navigate this this morning, we'll see some of this. Because for us, we have to see this as one of the most valuable things. And remember, a lot of this is challenging Christians. And so this morning, I'm challenging Christians to navigate this space with this mentality. That the local church, the establishment of it, and the presence of individuals in that local church is the, one of the most vital things that we do in our Christian walk, besides living our faith out loud in action. One of those actions is gathering together. One of those actions is, as we'll talk about this morning, is loving our brothers and our sisters in Christ and our neighbors. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It is his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in, since union is strength. So he does his best to promote separation. Listen, the enemy... Will lean, and he maybe already has, maybe he is right now, or he might gonna be. Or there may be people that you interact with, maybe you've invited to church. And you know what the enemy's done is he slid into their life and he's used many different things that we'll talk about this morning, many different things to convince them that separation is their best option. That I'm a better Christian if I'm not at church. I'm a better Christian if I'm not serving in a local church. I'm, I don't need that. I don't have to have that. I don't need to be there. The enemy works in separation and isolation. God works in community. He binds us together. He brings us together. He gathers us together for his glory and for our good and the good of those that we interact with. And so this morning, as we kind of contemplate this in our own mind, you know, 
And, and, and I'm not one, and, and I hope that we can always be a church that whoever is up here preaching or teaching or saying is always a church of, of, of authenticity. I am not saying that there are not a plethora of reasons for people to say, I don't want any part of that. A plethora of reasons of people to be discouraged by the church. You know, and I think for us as a church, the way that we begin to move past those things is when we acknowledge those things. Because I think too often the church wants to act like, look, we've got it all together. If you don't like it, then there's something wrong with you. But for us, we need to be able to say, listen, the church is not perfect. And the hypocrisy comes in when we as the church try to pretend like the organization or the establishment of the church is perfect. Because it's not. And the way we reach those people is by engaging that space of, of, of interacting with their doubts or their questions. You know, because there's, like I said, there's no shortage of reasons to see people uh, move away from participating in the local church. And so for us, as we engage the community of De Quincey or the surrounding communities, we're, we're not interacting with an unchurched group of people. What we are interacting with is a group of people that are very churched. Very churched to the point that that churched sense of their lives has been a point of pain. It's been a point of discouragement. It's been a point of misrepresentation of the gospel through misdirected people. Listen, most people we interact with, and I was having this conversation with a local pastor the other day, most people we interact with aren't unchurched, but they're in desperate need of being rechurched. Desperate need of being rechurched. And listen, that's not me saying that I have all the answers that are us as a church, we have it all together and we'll have listen, we're figuring this out because even for me, there's some rechurching that I've had to do in my own life to try to figure out, God, what is the gospel? Like, what is that message that needs to be given to people? Like, how do we deal with that? How do we reconcile grace within the context of the local church and how we deal with discipline and, and discipline within the church, discipline with our families? Like, how do we navigate that with other people, with other unbelievers in a culture like we're talking about today that is pressing in around us? How do we reconcile all those things as Christians? And I, I believe that this morning it's recognizing the value of the church being honest about our faults, but being willing to take strong steps forward in that. And acknowledging three things. You know we're going to have two, three things. Three things this morning that I believe God has shown us and saying to us within the context of these verses today. The first thing is this, is that He's given us a command. That if we have any question as far as how we navigate being a part or loving our brothers and sisters in Christ and navigating life in the local church... How, where do we start first? The first thing is he's given us a command. We see it in verse, in verse 22 here. He says, having purified your souls. So he's still reconciling and kind of referencing what we said before. Remember back in, in, uh, in verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from futile ways and inherited from your forefathers. In verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, like the lamb without blemish or spot, for he foreknew before the foundation of the earth. He's saying all these things that God has done and poured on. So he says, since your hearts have been purified... Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. I love that, obedient to the truth. You know, the truth is not something easy to come by these days. The truth to many people is very, uh, very subjective. It's dependent on your feelings or how you feel or what makes sense for you. And so for us as Christians, the first thing that we do is reclaim the truth. And within reclaiming that truth about who we are in Christ and what God has done for us, it moves us in this, this space 
where he says, calls us to this command of sincere brotherly love. And, I, and, and there's, there's this verse and the next verse have two different types of love that it references, but these things work very much in tandem together. This first love that it says, this sincere love that he calls us to, this brotherly love, is a love called Philadelphia, or Philadelphia, which is why the city of Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love, because that word means brotherly love. It's that particular kind of love, a familial love. And so when you think about a familial love, think about the love in, when, in the context of your own family. Is that love always perfect? No, it's not, right? The, the, you, the, you love your family even though you may not always like your family, right? But they're your family, and you love them, and you, you care for them, and you want good for them, and you want to do good for them. And so when we see this idea of f- uh, familial love or this brotherly love, it's not a perfect love, but it's with an understanding of those familial elements, that we're connected, that we have likeness, that we have the same goals, that we want the same things and the same goodness for each other. So he's called us to this idea of a sincere sense of brotherly love, which is difficult sometimes, right? Because remember, we're talking about love within brothers and sisters in Christ, us loving each other. And like we've talked about before, church people are not always lovable, correct? We're not. But within that, God still calls us to have sincere, real, authentic love for each other. Brotherly, familial, concerned love for each other. Because within that love, remember, we're, we're, we're referencing and acknowledging that we have commonality. And at, at the bare base, our commonality is that we're all flawed. And listen, we're going to be disappointed by people. We're going to be, uh, you know, sometimes hurt by people, deceived by people that were within the context of the church. But what God calls us to is He calls us to, because we share a likeness, this familial love, which is a messy love, this likeness that binds us. It's what Jesus has done for us and what He plans to do with us. And so these things bind us together, and He calls us to this sincere sense of love. And then he continues on and he, and he tells us that this, this love, these types of love, is not just passive or pretend, but it's sincere and it's by choice. And verse 22 continues on. He says, love one another earnestly. And so now this love, man, I, I just wish that we had better words to describe love the way the original text did. Because it's so, you know, we, we love people differently and love our families differently than we love tacos and, and chicken sandwiches from Pie Pies. But it's, it's, it's hard to explain that. But I'm grateful that we have resources to be able to acknowledge this. But this love is a different type of love than the love that he mentioned before. The first love, that Philadelphia love or that brotherly love. Now this love that he says to love one another earnestly is agape love. A love we're a lot more familiar with because the Bible over and over and over again tells us that this is the love that is God and the type of love that God shows. And so what kind of love is agape love? Just to kind of refresh our memory, this is love by choice. This is sacrificial love. This is love that elevates the object of its love. This is the type of love that God calls us to. And not only does He just call us to it passively, but He says earnestly. Or some translations, may we even say fervently. And so this word, this word fervent or earnestly, it kind of brings with it this idea of, 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 of an athletic term that means striving with all one's energy. So think about that. 
that within the context of the local church, the type of love that God has called us to have for each other is a type of love that strives with all of one's energy. And not only that, but it brings with it this idea of being stretched to your limits. Man, that's tough. Because it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to not do this. Because why? Because most of us don't deserve this kind of love. Because this type of love is God's highest expression of grace. Because I'm not always lovable. But God calls us as Christians to love each other in that agape love by choice, sacrificial love. He's called husband and wife to love each other with this agape, sacrificial, intentional love for each other, even when we're not lovable. And that's tough because even just in that context, it stretches us beyond our limits, right? It stretches, stretches us to those moments. And you think about athletic events and, you know, uh, we think about pushing yourself and, and, and giving all of your energy. You know, we say, to, we say to athletes all the time, like, leave it all out on the field. Like, give every bit that you have. And, you know, you bring that down into the context of a marriage. And we pray and we hope, listen, in that context, give everything you have to that. But then continuing on down in that, God calls us in the context of the local church to give all you have, leave it all out there on the field, all out there on the court of the local church in how you love each other, how you have concern for each other. And listen, that takes a lot. It's not passive. It's not natural to us because we as people are not naturally lovable. And our natural instinct is to want to give people what they deserve. And if what they deserve is the cold shoulder from me because they've said or done something that has disappointed me or hurt me, then that's what we feel like we should do. Now, what that doesn't mean is that we don't engage with people when we have issues. But the Bible calls us to that. I mean, the Bible is very specific about whether it's church discipline, whether that's when you've been hurt by a brother or sister in Christ. What does the Bible tell us to do? And this is one of the things that the church is horrible at doing is going to the person who has hurt you and having a conversation. We would so much rather completely just bail because that's easier. It's easier to not engage people. It's easier to not face issues. It's easier to not go to someone and say, listen, this may not make sense to you, or you may not understand this, but what you said, what you did, it hurt me. It hurt me. And listen... In times I've had to do that in my own life, maybe in the context of church or even not in church, you know, or if, if someone has done that, come to me and said that to me, listen, it's uncomfortable. It's awkward. But I would not for anything in the world replace what happens after you do that. Because the, the, the rebuilding that happens after those moments is so much better and stronger than anything that existed before. If we're willing to step into relationships, if we see enough value in those relationships, and for us as Christians, as we should with each other, see value in the relationships we have within the context of the local, local church, that when we are hurt, when we are disappointed, when we see something that needs to be addressed, that we lean in with all the awkwardness, with all the weirdness, and we say, hey, can I talk to you? I need to share this with you. I need to say this to you. It takes, just as, as athletic events would, it takes endurance, it takes patience, it takes strength, 
It takes diligence. Listen, and, and even like thinking about it in the context of a relationship in a marriage. You know, the moment conversations start, the moment you stop engaging with each other about, you know, the things that are wrong, and you stop having those conversations, typically is the moment whenever the relationship starts to dwindle out, right? Because you've just backed out. You're just, I'm just done. And so you don't even have the strength, you don't even have the endurance it takes to lean in and have awkward conversations, to work through things together. But God has called us not only to that type of love and engagement within our life and within our marriage, but also within the context of the local church. John 13, 34 through 35. It says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And all these loves in this verse are all agape. Love by choice. Love sacrificially. Love Love, love. Hebrews 13, 1, he says, let brotherly love continue. This is that Philadelphia love that he mentions here. Romans 12, 9 through 10, he says, let love be genuine. Adore what is evil, hold fast to what is good, and love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. You know, one of my favorite quotes by C.S. Lewis, I have it on my phone, it kind of circles through on a little widget on my phone every once in a while. But it says this, it says, to be Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Listen, we don't like to think of ourselves as having anything that could remotely be inexcusable. But if we're honest with ourselves, we either have been or are stepping into seasons of struggle and doubt and sin in our lives that God could... I don't have time for that. I don't. You're going to misrepresent me like that. You're going to treat somebody like that. You're going to act like that. You're going to miss this. You're going to not do this. But because God, in His essence, is love by choice, love sacrificially, God leans into the life of a Christian and continues to draw us near to Him even in the context of our struggles. And He has called us to have that same type of love for each other. So the first thing is that He's given us a command. The second thing is this, that He's given us a reason. In verse 23, it says this, He says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. He says, since you have been born again, all that God has done for us has laid a foundation for us to stand on to make these kind of actions. Listen, separate from the born again nature that God has given us as Christians, we cannot love people brotherly or affectionately in the agape love, by choice, sacrificially. We cannot love in those ways unless we have been loved in those ways. And because we have been loved in that way, we have been born again into that family, into that connection, into that likeness. And so we can take all that God's done with us and apply it into the way that we live. Is it perfect? No, it's not perfect. But it's our pursuit. It's our best presentation of what God has done for us. And we apply that in our lives. He has given us a reason because we have been born again. 1 John Verse three, uh, chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. He says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Do you hear the connection 
The connection, you know, we've talked about holiness and obedience and all those things in the, in the weeks leading up to this. Do we see the connection about how our pursuit of God and holiness and trying to kind of live in the light that God has called us to, how that in our love for our, our brothers and sisters is connected? We cannot love people adequately if we're not pursuing God passionately. Like if we're not pursuing holiness and those things above, those things that are pure, those things that are good that the Bible calls us to, if we're not actively trying to live our lives in that capacity, it's going to be near impossible to love our brothers and sisters in Christ in that familial sense or in that sacrificial sense. Because we'll be disconnected from that. You know, what he's telling us is the reason why we can love like that is because we know we've been loved like that. And so when we forget we've been loved like that, it's going to be near impossible for us to love like that. And so he's calling us to understand that he's given us a reason. He's given us a reason not only to pursue holiness, as we've talked about, but also to, in light of that, live out loud, live that life towards other people. You know, and he tells us that, that you can't, we can't say that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. But we can't say we love God and not love the people of God. It's impossible. You know, and, and I've heard, and my heart's been broken at times, I've heard pastors, you know, of particular churches say things like, you know, just really be very harsh and very critical of the church in a sense of like, you don't need church or church people and blah, 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 all this stuff. And for me, I'm thinking to myself, man, but those church people need those people and we all need each other. So like we can't push against and push away from Christians and church people that may have disappointed us, may have hurt us, and maybe are misguided and misdirected. They just need to be rechurched, And we just need to be a people willing to step into those circles. We need to be a people willing to have conversations. We need to be a people willing to say, listen, I, I, I know that this is how you think about this or how you want to navigate this, but maybe there's a better way to do this. Maybe there's a way that God's Word more accurately presents to us to do this. And listen, we need to have as much patience with churched people that have either treated us wrong or disappointed us or whatever it might be, as much patience with them as we would have of the unbelieving world around us. And listen, we may say that we don't want to, to love church people or don't need church people, but remember, the important thing we have to understand is God's patience and provision with us is enough to show us that that is never an adequate assessment of how we navigate Christian life. Because in the context of this broken but necessary attempt at worship and gathering of God's people, it is the most vital thing that we do. Because I don't believe we can adequately love others outside of the church until the church loves itself. Until we can love each other and care for each other. Listen, the, the world looks at the brokenness of church relationships and thinks to themselves, why on God's green earth would I ever want anything to do with that mess? And listen, it's always going to be a mess. There's nothing that's going to make it not be a mess because it's people. Broken people that are running it, doing it, leading it. And that's just the, the, the reality of it. But we can be honest and step into the space and say, listen, it is broken. But I promise you, this broken system that is, that is run by a perfect God but, 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 but demonstrated by broken people, is more fulfilling, more sustaining, and more uh, inhabiting than anything else that this world can offer. 
And how do we know that? And the last point this morning, and I'll be done, the last thing is because He's given us a way. He's given us a way to know it and to live it and to do it. He's given us a way. In verse 23, He says, Since you have been born again, of what? Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. And this word, word used here, is not only the same word used to describe the written Word of God, but it's used to describe the embodiment of the Word of God in who Jesus Christ is. So the Word of God is realized in Jesus and revealed in the Bible. And this Word, this Word, it instructs us, it opens our eyes to the beauty of God's truth and what He has done and what He is doing with us. And he tells us, he says in verse 25, he says, this word is the good news that was preached to you. And so listen, I hear a lot of people say sometimes, like, why do we need to be in a space where a person presents God's word? Like, can't I do that some in some other capacity? Wouldn't it be better if maybe, I, you know, we were in a small group or something like that? And listen, there are places and spaces for those things, and I think they're beneficial, and I think they're absolutely necessary. And this isn't any ploy for me, because you know it's not always about me. I want to get as many people up here preaching as I can. But over and over and over again, not only in the Bible, but historically, God has moved and changed hearts by the open reading of God's Word. That is how the church was built, was on the open reading of Scripture in gathered places. People stood and gathered and sat on ground and sat on floors and sat in spaces. And, 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 and all they would do is they would just read Scripture. Listen, as it has grown and developed, we've kind of taken on this idea. And, and as the, the church has taught and as Timothy would tell us to rightly divide and to present the word and kind of make it applicable and all these things. But ultimately, all we need, all we need is the word of God. Because remember, the word of God is the embodiment of Jesus and it's what has been written to us. God has given us these truths to read out, that, that lead us into brotherly love, that lead us into holy living, that lead us into worship of God. He has given us, the Bible tells us that it, everything we need for life and godliness is right here. But because we live in such a saturated world of so much, we have been convinced that we need more. We've been convinced that we need more Production. We've been convinced we need more media. We've been convinced we need better spaces. We've been convinced we need better chairs. We've been convinced we need better speakers. Uh, not speakers, but speakers. We've been convinced that we need better musicians. We need, we've been convinced that we need better atmosphere. We've been convinced that we need all these things, and we miss the beauty and the reverence and the revelation of what God's Word does. What it has done all throughout history. Over 2,000 years, this book has been a reference point for people to lean in and to find direction for brotherly love and direction for holy worship as we pursue God. And it has not been on an individual basis, but it has been in the sense, not that it can happen on an individual basis, but in the sense where it flourishes, flourishes is in the context of a people gathered together in a specific place for a specific purpose. He said, this is the word, the good news that was preached to you. It was presented to you. You heard it, spoken. The local church is the avenue at which this word is most adequately presented, rightly dissected, applied, and engaged with. 
Listen, and there is, as much as I appreciate it and as much as even me within the context of my heart wrestle with it, and as much as I appreciate our online community, there is nothing that can replace the gathering of God's people physically together. Nothing we ever do through this media outlet will ever, ever accomplish that. Nothing we do in that context. 1 Timothy 4.13, he says, Until I come, he says, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Ephesians 4.11-13, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ or the local church until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He says all these things. You know, this is all like parts of the church. You know, evangelists and teachers and shepherds and saints and, 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 and apostles. Like all these things are things that make up how the church functions and lives. And so he's saying that the church has a task. It has a task for, for the leaders to equip the saints who are you for the work of ministry. And not only that, but for a purpose of building up, for unity, for knowledge, for maturity, for fullness in the revelation of who Jesus is. There is a task that we do here. There is something we're accomplishing. John 15, 3. Continues to tell us what that word does. It says, already you, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Luke 8, 11, he says, now this parable, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And I love that he references Isaiah verse 40 here in verse 24 of 1 Peter, where he says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls in verse 25, but the word of the Lord remains forever. He says, all flesh. And so when we talk about flesh, we're talking about the things that we gravitate towards, the things that we hold on to, the things that we reach for, the things that we depend on. He says, all flesh. And not only that, but maybe our status, maybe who we are, maybe the things that we feel like define us. He says, all flesh and all its glory. All, all that it brings to you, all that it defines by you, all that it provides for you, all its glory. He says it withers. It breaks down. It disintegrates. And not only that, but it falls. He says it won't stand. It won't hold up. There's no strong foundation with it. He says that all that is corruptible, fallible, and limited will be gone. And for us... We can't afford to let our lives be led to investing in empty things that won't last. And then he tells us, he says, because of this, because of this, in verse, two, uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, this is what he calls us to. And I think it's very unique, these things that are laid out and how they affect our relationship within the church. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 1. He says, So... Because of all this, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Do you, do you notice that all of those things are things that affect our relationships with people? Right? You know, when we talk about malice, we're talking about intentions to do something bad or evil towards someone. You know, and so to, to have malice, you have to have an object of your malice. And so this is speaking of a relational 
context. So he says, put away, take off, tear away, malice. He also call, says deceit. Deceit is tricking someone or misrepresenting the truth. This is a relational thing, right? Because you can't deceive someone unless there's someone to be deceived. So he's speaking specifically to a relational context. Not only that, but he says hypocrisy. This is the practice of claiming to have a moral standard or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. So the only way to be a a hypocrite is to have a spectator of your hypocrisy, right? And so it's speaking about how we live, that our lives would be lived in a way that would match the convictions that we have and the moral standards that we have. Because these things affect our relationships. Because if we live as hypocrites, what good does that do for our credibility with someone else? And how we minister to them, how we invite them into the context of where we are in our relationship with God. Or even want to grow in our relationship with God. And not only hypocrisy, but he says envy. You know, envy is jealousy. It starts with being discontent with where you are and being driven by the desire to have what someone else has. Listen, we can't envy unless there's a, a the product or, or a point of our envy or of our jealousy, of something we want and desire. And if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times this is what kind of feeds into malice and deceit and hypocrisy is because we envy, we're not content where, where, where we are. You know, we always live, and I've said this over and over and over again, we live in this state of where the grass is greener. We kind of carry on this grass is greener mentality within the context of our life. I need to have more. I need to be more. I need to do more. And I'm not content with where I am. And there's a big difference between contentment and complacency, but now is not the time for that. But, you know, we live with this grass is greener mentality, and then we get to the other side and realize that that grass is, it needs to be watered just as much as the grass I left does. And so we still find ourselves needing and wanting because we're not content with the relationship we have, with the family we have, with the job we have, with the money we have, with the status we have. So we need to keep working for more and more and more. And we be, we're driven by this envy. We're driven by this place within our lives that never allows us to settle in. And so when we're envious, when we're constantly moving, it doesn't allow us a space within the local church. And not only that, it doesn't allow us to love each other. Because honestly, if we're envying, if we're envying, then our pursuits of more will keep us absent from the church. I'm not to say that we shouldn't be working hard, we shouldn't provide for our families, anything like that, but our pursuits of more, 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 and more will, will eliminate any opportunity for us to ever have brotherly affection or sacrificial love for each other because we'll be absent, because we'll be in pursuit of better thing, things that we think we need better, more of. And then the last thing is slander. You know, slander is backbiting or, or detraction, talking bad, speaking badly about someone to tear down their reputation or their credibility. I mean, another thing that is, is, is detrimental to our relationships. And so when Peter says, when he says, put away, or other translations may say, lay aside these things, he understands that they will weigh us down from our ability to actively love those within the family of God. We cannot, we cannot love the family of God in a familial sense or a sacrificial sense if we are carrying around what Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2 would call our old self. This is who we were before we were born again. We were people of malice. We were people of envy. We were people of hypocrisy. We were people of deceit. But he says, man, put that off. 
Lay that aside. That garment doesn't fit you anymore. It doesn't look good on you anymore. And it doesn't draw people to you anymore. But he says, clothe yourself with something better. And what do we clothe ourselves with? The righteousness of Jesus. The holiness that he calls us to. Listen, it's easy to talk bad about people behind their backs to make you feel better about yourselves. Listen, that's envy. That's envy, deceit, hypocrisy, all, all rolled up in one bundle. And a lot of these things come to get packaged together. Because when you envy someone or something they have or some status or some position or some comfortability in their life, when you envy it, you end up backbiting it or, or, or slandering it at some point because you're downplaying it to make your, your own situation feel better. We've got to put those things off. Lay them aside. They're only holding us down. They're only tripping us up from being able to be the local church and invite people into participation of the local church. And so then I'll end with this. That Peter's instruction here points to the importance of Christian fellowship fully realized in the local church. And I believe in the local church. And I'm constantly going to preach presence in the local church. Be involved in a local church you know, and, and, and when you look at these major evangelists and these people that have gone around and have spoken and done all these things, and then they fall heavy, heavy into sin. The commonality, if you look into a lot of those situations, and I'm not saying that people within the church don't follow these things too. But the commonality with a lot of those things is they don't have a local church that they were attached to. They don't have a church that they went to that held them accountable. They don't have a church that they went to that challenged them. They don't have a church of people that know them by name. I constantly hear from Christians all the time, well, I like going to that church because I can go there, I can sit in the back, I can just kind of do my thing, and then I can leave. And I'm just like, oh, like that's, that's what this is about. This is about us going into dark corners of churches of three, four, five, six hundred to a thousand, ten thousand people, and just being an individual. That's not what God's called us to. But because we have made this such an event that we've, we've, we've created church to be an individualized experience, which the beauty of our context, and I love every bit of it, is that you ain't going to walk in here and not be noticed. And listen, that may turn some people away, but I never want to be a church that is any different than that. Because the local church, you're supposed to be noticed. You're supposed to be known. You're supposed to be seen. And some sense of that is accountability, but another sense of that is empowerment. That is God using that context, using our students that are here, our families that are here to be challenged and to be convicted and to be encouraged and to have a place where you can come where a group of people know you. I almost want to sing the Cheers uh, theme song where people know your name. You know, like you come into that space and people know you. Most people, I mean, some of the younger ones, they don't know what is Cheers. Anyway, but, you know, that people know you. Like I said, we've talked about it before. People can find community in a, in a shallow sense in a lot of different places, but deep community, sacrificial love community, familial brotherly love community can only be found truly in the local church. And so for me, you know, like I said earlier, let's be honest, there's frustration, there's pettiness, insincerity, hip, hip, uh, hi, uh, hypercritical, lazy, misguided, misrepresented, harsh, oppressive people within the church. I get it. But I still believe, even within all that, that the local church and the gathering of God's people is worth fighting for. It's worth being present for. 
And the thing that we can't do as the church, and I pray for us here at Crosspoint Community Church and, and just as Christians here in the context of the Quincy, Louisiana, that we would not ever allow ourselves to become a people. And I, even speaking to our, 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 our people who are listening, be a people who allow media to be our church. You know, the word media, it, it comes from this idea of medium, which comes from this idea of in-between. We live in a day and age where there is a lot of mediation between us and the world, right? Whether it's in relationships and even now within the church, we've allowed a mediation to be between us and people. Because just in all honesty, it's, it, we've created a situation where we can sit in our living rooms, we can sit in different places, and we can listen to whoever, whenever we want. And what we've allowed to do is we've allowed media to be a barrier to our community. You know, we've allowed Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, all these things to be the element at which we present our lives rather than the relationship we have with individuals being how we present our lives. We've allowed a barrier. And that's bleeding over into the church, especially in this era of COVID. That media has become a barrier to people being at church. And we've, we've lost focus on the beauty of what this gathering is all about. It, it's bittersweet for me because I appreciate the resource but I also have to ask myself, are we contributing to the problem if we continue to put out media? It's, it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing that we have to pray and work through. But I pray for us as individuals that we would never allow that to happen because I believe in some things about the local church. And I just want to give you these things and then I'm, I'm seriously done. The first thing is this, is that the local church, the gathering of God's people is beautifully diverse. I love that the church is full of people from different backgrounds, of different ages, of different races, of different things. It's, it's a beautiful representation of God's kingdom because we're not all talented in the same ways. We don't all like the same things. We don't even think the same things, but we're all put together. There's not many other contexts where that's a case, right? Unless it's something you're paying for, like school. But in most other cases, a lot of people that gather together, they're all kind of the same. Same people, same desires. Same. I mean, you all go to a movie, it's because you all like the same movie. And you go eat at a restaurant because you all like that particular restaurant. It's diverse. And that's what is beautiful about the local church. Not only that, but it's exclusively inclusive. It's exclusively inclusive. Meaning that there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. But God says, all come. He says, the table's open. There's plenty of seats. There's plenty of places for you. Come. It's beautifully exclusively inclusive. Not only that, but the membership fees are paid in full. The blood of Jesus has been shed for each and every dirty, rotten sinner that lives on this earth, and God says, come. It's been paid. There's a place for you, and it's in this church. It's in the context of the local church and what God is doing. And not only this, but the last thing is this, that we are empowered to encounter the goodness of God when we worship and read Scripture. We are empowered to encounter the goodness of God and the glory of His work on earth. I believe that the local church is the hub at which real ministry happens. And it should be. People should be loved. People should be reached. People should be evangelized from the expression of the local church. It doesn't only happen here, but I believe it flows from here. And it has to. And it should. 
You know, and uh, Mr. Randy had come and, and talked to me uh, right before service about sharing something. I told him, I said, well, honestly, it fits right in to where we are and what we're talking about just as far as the expression of that love and how the local church functions uh, outside from itself. And Mr. Randy, if you wouldn't mind, just come and just share right before we finish a little bit of that this morning about uh, your experience, what you heard. Yes. Morning, everybody. Hey. Listen to Brother Jake. Have you sat, you used to have a saying. If that don't light your fire, then you wouldn't with. You know what I'm saying? Guess what? We serve a God that it don't matter how wet you would, he can light your fire. You know what I'm saying? Elijah and the prophet? Let me tell you about a guy that I've known for 40 years, a co-worker on the railroad. David was uh, named David Broussard, and he uh, he was heavily involved in his church. He was heavily involved in ministries outside his church. God began to develop a heart in his heart for the lost. Check this out. At 65 years old, retired, God called him to the ministry, your pastor. He goes to seminary, him and his wife, comes back, just give you a little background, comes back to start church. A couple of months ago, about a month, month and a half, David caught COVID. He's been on the ventilator three times. Let me share something for you before he caught COVID. David loves golf. He hadn't played golf in two months. Got up one morning, he had his thoughts in his head. The Lord speaking to him. You're going to go play golf today. He said, okay. Told Dorothy. Dorothy, I'm going to play golf today. She said, okay. She knew something was up. He goes to the golf course, went to LaBerge. Walked up, paid his fees, gets out there. The couple celebrating their two year anniversary. Y'all help me, I might get emotional. They invite David to go play. 18 rounds of golf. The word? David knows the word. As they're playing golf, he's sharing the word of the Lord with them. Afterwards, he invites them to go to a restaurant. They go over, I think it's over Charlie. They sit down. They're still talking, developing a relationship. The young lady says, I don't even They say the Lord's Prayer, they talk. Her husband says, in the booth at the restaurant, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. She says the Lord's Prayer, they talk. They finish talking a little bit, they get up and leave. God tells them, I ain't done yet. The waitress comes over, says, sir, I've been listening to some of y'all I sit down and visit you. She sits down. Through conversation, he leaves her to the Lord. She says, Lord, prayer, salvation. David is COVID. He's in the hospital. He has a heart for the law. And he's talking to me. He's 
tell me this yesterday, y'all. He's on the bend. But every fourth word, you can tell he's having a hard time breathing. His voice is very rapt. When Brother Jake preached on he reached down and got it and left it all on the field. He left four nurses, two in the ICU, ICU I told David, I said, I need to hear that. God called you today, called, got you to call me today because I need to hear it. I called and checked on him several times. I knew something was wrong. He told me about people that he didn't even know in other countries. They called to their church. We're praying for you. We're praying for you. Brother Jack mentioned challenges. Church, let's bow our heads this morning. Let's engage the challenge for us to not only see value in the local church, but see how God can use us to be vessels of that love, that familial love, that sacrificial love, and how all of it is an expression of what God has done for us as individuals. God, how can you use me? How can you use me in no matter what context I'm in, wherever I'm at, to share this love, this good news that you've preached to us with those around us in the context of our community, in the context of our family, in our jobs, wherever it may be, that he would use us. Let's pray together. Father God, I just thank you for today. God, I thank you for Mr. Randy. God, I thank you for brothers and sisters all around the world and all around us that are actively fighting the fight 
Father God, I prayed this morning for us that we would step away knowing that you've given us avenues to do the work that you've called us to do. God, you've given us your word. God, you've given us the fellowship of believers to lean in together, to see what it is you have for us, to love our community and to share the love of Christ with those people. Father God, we know we're a broken people. We know that the church is a broken entity at times, but God, we know that there's no replacement for what you're doing with us. God, we would not have it any other way. And God, I pray that we would be a church people that would acknowledge where we failed, maybe acknowledge where the church has been misrepresenting itself. But Lord, that we would acknowledge that God still wants to use us. And God still has good for the church and our gathering together. God, bring us together. Lord, let people be here physically. Let us see each other. Let us fellowship with each other, commune with each other, love for each other. God, let us know each other. Let us be encouraged by each other. Let us be invested and involved with each other for the sake of your kingdom's growth here and in De Quincey, Louisiana. Father God, we're broken vessels, Lord. We just ask you to fill us up. Lord, patch us up. Lord, use us. Deliver us. God, reveal to us the paths and the ways you'd have us to go and all the spaces you'd have us to use. Father, we just love you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in your holy, precious name.